We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant the church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Thanks, Josh and Miranda. Thanks, worship team. Uh, Hey, welcome to the gathering. Uh, My name is Mike Newman. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, let's continue in worship. But man, that was special. Good to hear from you, Josh and Miranda. Uh, it's, It's just good to hear how real people are walking with God. And uh, Christ has has met us this year. And uh, each time that we uh, get around the Advent table, uh, and not just hear a nice little word or nice little verse, but say... Christ has been my peace this year and one of the hardest years ever, right? It's just so good to be reminded and to remind ourselves that uh, Jesus has carried us and he's going to continue to be faithful. Amen? Amen. And in terms of forgetting the candle or which one, I just remember light the white one. That helps me. That helps me, you know? So I hope that helps the next couple that will share next week. Yes. Before we jump into the Word... Uh, one book recommendation. Um, we gave all the community group leaders this book, and uh, part of uh, our role, um, and just as Josh read Romans 8, 6, for to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, a great way to set the mind or to train the mind or to think about the things of the Spirit is to read good, solid resources. And one of the church, church's job is to say, this isn't a solid resource, and this is a solid And I'm saying right now that this is the best book I've ever read, okay? And I'm trying not to be Mr. Superlative on everything, but this book is called Gentle and Lowly, and never before has a book directed me to the heart of Christ more than this one. Um, Ten bucks, back on the book cart. There's like six or eight of them, so like, um, if you don't stay for prayer and you like rush out, like... it might be just like you're anxious to get to lunch, but please rush out and buy the book before, you know, or whatever. Okay, so this is a great book, and I pray that it blesses you. Uh, you there's a little little envelope where it uh, talks about how you can purchase it. You can write a, a check or give some cash or um, text to give and pop it right in that uh, black box back there. So, awesome stuff. Shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, so we're in the, uh, uh, the new Christmas series called uh, Red Door Christmas, and, uh, and, and we're gleaning this from the early church. The early church used to paint their doors red. Hannah and I, even last weekend, we were on a date, we went to a place in Wilmington, and we, saw, uh, uh, we drove by a church, and they had red doors for the front doors, and it was like, this is still a thing. What is the thing? Okay, do you remember from last week? We talked about how, how out there, out there in the world, that you never measure up. That there's always like work to be done still. You're never done. And you're never enough. 
You remember that? Weakness, uh, brokenness is not welcome. It's, it's a sign of like, of um, just like a lower status or insecurity and uh, mostly can be summarized as negative in terms of out there in the world. But when you come in the church, when you come through the red doors, the blood of Jesus, it's an entirely unique and otherworldly experience. Like only the church can celebrate something this unique and distinct, and it's the finished work of Jesus Christ. When you come into the church, you can come and rest because Jesus has done the work. Amen? And so we're remembering that this Christmas. Not just like a nice little nativity scene, but we're connecting Christmas always to the cross, and we're, we're trying to, just as we sang, this, this could be described as the goal of preaching as well, we're coming to not just get right answers, not to, just to review stories of what happened some 2,000 years ago, but we're coming to adore the person and work of Jesus Christ that started in the manger and glorified Himself in the cross. He ascended. Now He sits at the right hand. And we this Christmas are just going to glory in Jesus. And I hope and pray that you leave here not just like, oh, that was nice. It was nice to hear about the Christmas story again or some nice verses, but I adored Jesus this morning. Are you with me? So let's have that prayer this morning. When you come in, when you come in the church, like some of the implications of this truth that the doors are painted red proverbially is that you can be open and honest with God and with others about your brokenness. Why? Because Jesus was broken for you. And we'll celebrate that after our time in the Word together. Like because the doors are painted red, because Jesus' work is completed, then we can be real with God and others about our incompleteness. And that actually glorifies Jesus because He was the only person who is entirely made whole. <laughs> he was whole, and we're not. This also means that when we enter in, that we who, who are just like finished with the world, like we're finished with chasing after the idols, or Revelation would say we're finished chasing after Babylon, like the things of this world, we can come in and be done with that and celebrate and glory in what has been finished for us. So that's... That's the message this year of Christmas. But even more than that, right? That when we, when we glory in the Gospel, we can say things like this. We can say, you know what? <laughs> oh yeah, I don't have to wash off before I get in the bathtub. Remember that from last week? Oh yeah, I don't have to pretend. I don't have to put on a show. Because Jesus loves the struggler. He loves the sinner. He's a friend of sinners. It's for this purpose that He came and was born and He died for sinners like you and me. And so, 
Let's remember that. Kids, we're going to do a little review from last week. Are you ready? If so, say, oh yeah. Okay, all right. So last week, we learned about the first red door, okay? It happened when the Israelites were in bondage, okay? Right? And the Israelites put blood on their doorposts because the tenth plague was coming. Kids, what was the tenth plague? Go ahead and shout it out. That's right. Good job. The angel of death. So the first red door, angel of death came. And what did the angel of death death do? Not death. He he still could hear, I'm sure. But the angel of death, thaw. When when you were covered by the blood, what did he do? Mm -hmm. Come on. That's right. That's good. Good. He passed over. And so from then on, the Israelites celebrate, celebrated the Passover. And so do we. We celebrate that Jesus passed over. In the same way, those who are found in Jesus, who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, death will pass over them. You will live eternally, right? You will experience a physical death, but you will be protected because you have been given eternal life. And that life is in His Son, Jesus Christ. Next, review. Alright, so there was a king. Okay? A king of Israel. And he wanted that kind of forgiveness. He wanted his heart cleaned. Like, and so he said, hey, just like the first red door, I want proverbially someone to like take the hyssop. That, those branches. I want someone to dip it in blood. And I want to like cover my heart because it's dirty and I want to be covered to experience the forgiveness of sin. Who was it? Yeah, all right. Nice job. King David. King David. He was looking back, but he was also looking forward like, I want to experience that. Holy. I don't want to just wait for it once a year and then carry my guilt, my burden, my sin until the day of Yom Kippur. I want to always be forgiven like that. So he was looking forward to. And then lastly, kids, here we go. This is from the book of Revelation. We also learned about another door. That there was a person and he was knocking at this door, asking, begging for continual communion with him. He said, if, if you let me in, I will come in and eat with you. Who was it? That's right. The classic Sunday school answer. You were ready. You were ready. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. All right. And so not just kids, adults too. How did you do? Last week's sermon title was called The Welcomer. How did you do letting Jesus in? Right? I'm not just talking about conversion. Although if you are not a believer, we certainly invite you to welcome Jesus in, to say yes to Him, to experience forgiveness, and to find abundant life in Him for the first time. But to the believer, how did you do this past week? Welcoming Him in to your joys, to your sorrows, to your highs, lows. Did you go to Him and commune with Him, talk with Him, to pray, It's a great reminder. How did we do celebrating Jesus' finished work? How did we do trusting Him in the ins and outs of our life? 
Just to pause right there as your pastor, there might be a variety of responses. Like those questions aren't just niceties to just ask. Like as a church, we really want you and pray for you that you would walk with God closely. And so the variety of responses might, might go something like this. Like, oh, I, I, thank you. Like I appreciate being asked from last week. Man, I kind of forgot. I forgot about that, that whole prayer thing. And man, I need, I need the Lord in my life. I, I, I drifted away from Him. And if that's your heart, like, yes, welcome to church again where we need each other and we need to hear from the Word. Like, that's, that's a good posture. Like, yeah, I'm hungry again to hear. And I need a whole lot of help walking with God. Maybe it was like, maybe the, the, the response to those questions are like, whew, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I heard last week I wanted to welcome him. But honestly, Newman, I just kind of went on with my way and I, and I chose busyness. And maybe it was out of apathy or just, maybe, I don't know, I just don't really care. And um, I don't know, that's where I'm at. Or maybe it was like, you know, the Lord is just another slice of my life. And uh, I show Him importance from the hours of 10 to 10.15. But after that, He's just another piece of my puzzle. Or maybe your response is something like this. Huh. My life is so messed up, I don't even know where to start. And so I'm just going to not start, <laughs> right? Like, uh, how do you eat an elephant? I mean, I know they say one bite at a time, but it's too intimidating. I can't even come to God. I feel like I need to get my life in order first before walking with Him, <laughs> Right? I know I've thought that. And if you're a human like me, this morning, this text is for you. And for me. So this morning, let's watch Jesus through the Bible woo your heart towards Him to stir your affections so that you would, just like we sang, so you would adore Him once again. All right, so let's ask again. All right, hey, Newman, what kind of person can come? If Christ is the welcomer, what kind of person is He welcoming? Like, who's, who is welcome, right? Like, imagine you're writing invitations for a dinner party. What kind of person would you invite to the dinner party? The popular the good looking? Like, who would make the top of your list? The ones who agree with you only, who have similar, like, political stances, or someone who is like you, or someone who just likes you back, or someone who you want to like, or someone who. Whatever, you fill in the blank. Who's on the top of the list? 
for your dinner invitation. Let's see who Jesus invites. Are you ready? Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. And we're in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. If you're new to the Scriptures, when we say chapter 11, all that means is big number 11 in the Bible. So go to about the middle of the Bible, keep taking a right, and look for big number 11. And then when we say verse, we're talking about the smaller numbers, and we're looking for small number 28. Jesus is inviting... What kind of person is he inviting this morning? We're in one verse. This is our base text this morning. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Ready? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Let's read it again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of this week's sermon is The Welcomed. Last week, The Welcomer. This week, The Welcomed. And there's two points, two kind of hats, to, two hooks to hang your hat on. It'll guide our time. The first point is the guest list, and the second is the reward Number one, the guest list, and number two, the reward. So let's look first at the guest list of Jesus. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Let's look at labor first, okay? What does this mean? What does it mean when Jesus invites those who labor? Is that just those who have a job, who like earn a paycheck? Is that just who recently... Uh, rake the grass, mowed the lawn. Uh, if you do the laundry, does that mean you can come to, to Jesus? Is that the kind of labor he's talking about? I don't think so. Some translations you might have it in your lap right now say, those who are weary. Come all who are weary and who are tired from hard toil. So, so what kind of toil, what kind of labor are we talking about where Jesus invites us? And I think the clearest explanation is this. The answer would be enduring your burdens. What kind of labor, what kind of toil? The kind of toil that endures your own burdens. And when I say burdens, I mean the burdens of your sin and the consequences thereof it. I think that's probably the clearest contextual answer from Matthew 11. I know we're kind of parachuting into this text for this Sunday, but I think that's what he's talking about. And kids, you may not be able to identify with the tone or the seriousness of the definition of laboring, a heavy burden uh, enduring a sin and consequence. You may, not, you may not understand that yet, and that's okay. I think, I think you'll grow to understand it um, like we adults do. I don't know if, kids, you're quite 
there where you're weary or tired of your sin. But I, I think it's fair to say that adults in the room can understand the darkness of the human heart. Like I, I opened my trash can this week and I, I saw all the nastiness on the bottom of it from just years of, of trash. And, and if you would open my heart, it would look pretty much the same. It's like just grossness in there and darkness. There's, there's, a, there's a weightiness to sin. It's, it's, you, as you grow, kids, you'll, you'll see that this is the kind of stuff that stresses out your mom and dad. That like turns our, our, hair, our hair gray and as we, we look in the mirror, we begin to experience just wrinkles and, and just, it's just hardships from consequences of our own sin, our own sinful desires, and the nastiness that is out there in the world. This is the kind of stuff that, that keeps us up at night. It causes us to toss and turn. Anyone weary of sin and its effects? So if you are, Jesus is saying this morning, hey, I'm writing out my guest list, and if you're weary of this, I want to invite you. I want to have you over for dinner. You're the kind of person that I want to invite. He also invites the heavy burdened, or in our translation, the heavy laden, uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says that these are the people who are loaded down. So if, if laboring or enduring a labor uh, gives this image of like someone just pushing through and, and sweating on their brow, this one would take on more of the connotation of, of a weight, uh, much like a Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. That he's, he's carrying a load by himself in and of his own strength. Like, and, and it causes this, this physical exhaustion, right? It'd be, it'd be much like this, this reaction of like, ah, these were my expectations and then I don't need this, right? Like, I already had 12 points spinning and now I blew it and now I, just, I don't think I can handle this. And it seems like I have to carry this one too because I'm a punk. And you never feel that way before? Anyone ever run a race before? Like a 1K or a 5K, a 10K, an adventure race, right? Um, uh, 110 hurdles, whatever, the mile, the mile relay. It's kind of like you get down on the blocks, right? And you put both hands on the track and the, the guy with the gun is like, ready! And you're like, I'm so ready, right? Set! And then like someone comes by, and I know this is a silly illustration. Honestly, this is all I could think of, though. Someone comes by and like brings you a honey-baked ham. And you're like, 
Oh, I love those. You know, and they're super tasty. They're so yummy. But like you have like both hands on the track. And then, and then so like you, you, someone hands you it. And so you're like this now. And okay, now you're balancing one hand, two legs, but your straddle position here. And then, bam, the gun goes off. And everyone else is like got perfect form and you have a ham on your right, you know, your right arm and it's like weighing you down and you weren't expecting that. You weren't, you didn't train for that and now you're carrying it and you're frustrated. It's crazy. And that's what sin is. And we've all been there. We've all tried to run the race. We've been hindered at, at points. At patterns. And it's tiring. And anyone identify with this? If you're taking notes, you just pause and in your margin, you could just start, yes, right here, this area of my life, this area of my life. If you're a journaler, in your quiet times this week, you could just identify with those those points. What's, what's the ham in my life, right? What am I carrying? If you feel weighted down by your sin, if you feel a heavy burden this morning, if you don't feel free, Jesus is like online. He went to evite.com and He put you at the top of the list. He is inviting you this morning to commune with Him. To come to Him. It's, this is the red door this morning that is being opened to you. right? And it is crazy. Let's just pause for a second. It is crazy how God works. Like how the kingdom of God works. The kind of people that Jesus invites it's, it's countercultural. It's, it's, it's not what you would expect. The kingdom of God is a very strange thing, and it selects very unique and strange people. Like if I was in charge, if you were in charge, if you were like the general manager building up the Olympic dream team, it's obvious. Like who are the people that you're going to go after? The strongest, the tallest, the quickest the best. And the best being defined as however you want to define it, right? I mean, that's, that's what the dream team would consist of. That's who you'd be recruiting, but that's not how the kingdom of God works. Jesus uses the weak and the humble and the, the actually the, the incapable The ones who, who just want to trust and depend on the Master and His skills rather than their own skills, experience, unique gift sets. And that's why God says in the Old Testament, hey, I want you to trust in Me with all your heart. And I actually want you to lean not on your own understanding and your own skill sets and your own unique abilities. I want you to acknowledge me in all your ways. And what I'll do is I'll make your paths straight. That's how, that's how the Christian life works. 
the overarching story of the Bible is that He uses, like He's building His kingdom and uses kingdom subjects that are, that are like servants. They're, they're lowly. They're, he, he builds His kingdom in unexpected ways. That's His construction project. He uses the strangest materials in order to accomplish His will. In Genesis, He could have chosen a leader who, who uh, was, was young, right? And He could have chosen a fertile wife. But instead, in Abraham, He chose an old man and a barren woman named Sarah. In Exodus, he could have chosen a leader who didn't have a speech impediment. But instead, he chose Moses. In 1 Samuel, he could have chosen a strong and tall man to kill a giant. But instead, he chose a boy with a sling and just a few stones. And instead, at Christmas, instead of sending like this strong like men of reputation with like kingly power with with royal purple robes he sent a baby not like born in a great marble uh, temple or not in a coliseum but in a lowly manger it was actually told about from long ago, long before Jesus even came, uh, from the prophet Micah. Um, if you would, go ahead and, and go to your table of contents and look in the Old Testament for the prophet Micah. He's a minor prophet. Minor just means he wrote a short book. So sometimes it's hard to find in the Old Testament. But in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, there's a prophecy about Jesus about a man that was to come that was going to save his people from their sins. He was going to be a ruler, but this ruler was going to come in unexpected ways and rule and lead in an unexpected manner. Let me read it for you. This is Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth from of old, from ancient days. It's a great prophecy. But it's a great prophecy to remember, not just like, oh, cool, it was spoken of back then and it happened, but look at the manner or like how it was spoken. Hey, there's going to be a ruler that comes and he is going to come from a little old town of Bethlehem. He's going to be born in a barn. He's going to like, be from a small town in Judah. And we know the story of Christmas. That when Christ came, He wasn't wrapped in these like, beautiful, expensive like, clothes from Patagonia or something. right? He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Like grave clothes. Like just pieces of gnarly old cloth. His parents, Joseph and Mary, they weren't of wealth or of great honor. They were raised in Nazareth. 
In the New Testament, there's a joke around uh, about Nazareth. It's like, well, what good ever comes from Nazareth? It's like, ha, ha, ha. And then we say, well, the king of kings, like Jesus, came from Nazareth. Like the greatest thing in my life, my, my highest treasure. And Jesus, when he started his, his earthly ministry, you would think that he would choose and select both men and strategies that we in our natural mind would do. Like, let's get the best TV station. Let's like get the Twitter accounts and Instagram and Facebook. And let's market like the tar out of this sucker. But instead he chose 12 ordinary, like not even normal, but like subpar men. Like smelly ones and cheaters and people that weren't respected around town. And he said, this is how I'm going to build my kingdom from these schmucks. This is the way of the master. Why does he do that? So look at me. Why is this the pattern of God? The Old Testament all the way to the new to even now. Are you ready? Why does he do it? Because he gets the glory from it. That's how, why he does it. That's what he's doing. That's his, his agenda, his mission. Right? If he chooses the gifted and the good looking, they'll give glory to themselves. But he chooses people like us so that he'll get the glory. This is the consistent message. If you would, you're in Micah right now. Keep turning to Matthew now 5. And just at a cursory reading, look at Matthew 5, verses 3 on to 10. We'll just read it real quick, okay? Look at the kind of people that God chooses to use in His kingdom. These are descriptions of His kingdom subjects, right? You would anticipate with the natural mind, the dream team, the big, the strong, the tall, right? But He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who have a 43-inch vertical. No, blessed are those who mourn. I mean, blessed are those who can just like rip a shot down the third baseline three out of four times. I'm looking for Hall of Famers. No, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for... I just, I'm looking for hungry people. Blessed are the merciful, the poor, and the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And hey, if you're persecuted, you're blessed. Friends, Jesus is not looking for those who have it all together. You hear me? The psalmist says, that Jesus is actually looking for those who are contrite in heart, who are broken, and who are tired of living for themselves. They're tired of their own sin, and they want to rest. They want to rest in Jesus' work. That's their desire. That's what they're hungering. That's what they want. 
why am I sharing this? The last five minutes, why did we just do a full overview of how God works and selects people throughout the scriptures? I'm sharing this because it is against our nature to think otherwise. Like we need, we need the Bible. We need God to inform us how to think and how to come to Him and how this kingdom is built. This should breed massive confidence in you because it's not in you. It's in the Lord. Like If we don't accept the truth that we must be at the end of ourselves to go to Him, we will never go to Him. We will never feel or see that need. Amen? This has been a meaningful quote for me. This is a, uh, by a pastor named Tim Keller. Some of you might be familiar with some of his books. Uh, he once said, If God wants to use you in big ways, He must break you in little pieces. <laughs> I like love and I hate that quote, right? And that just personally, that's, that's what the Lord has done in my life. I remember coming to Christ and a couple years after thinking, wow, like I'm a really great guy. And God's, God's going to use me in great ways, in big ways. Like, right? And just like, you can just see my head swelling from like pride. And I remember um, in eighth grade, I, I hurt my neck and uh, caused some nerve damage to my shoulder. And it affected my, my football and basketball um, just like career or playing, right? Just hurt all the time. And God was, was slowly chipping away at my desire to be made known. Like I, I wanted to live my life and, and like live a legacy, but when if you were to open up the trash can lid of my heart, you would really see that like in my early years, I wanted to follow Jesus for me. And like for my namesake, in, the, in, the, in my high school, like there was this wall of fame and, and we had pictures of it for those who made Allstate. And my like heart's desire, what drove me was I wanted my picture on the wall. Why? Because I wanted the name of Newman to resound in the, in the halls of Ashwaubenon High School in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I wanted my name to be remembered. And slowly, slowly, the Holy Spirit started to chip away at my sinful desires, the idols of my heart. And by His grace, He was so good to me to wound me, to break me in pieces so that my heart's desire by God's grace would not be for my name, but would be for His name. Right? One of my life verses is Isaiah 26, 8. It says, Yes, Lord, we wait for you, for your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. That's my prayer. Do I still struggle with that? I do. I do. But it's the desire of my heart now. I, I want to be used by the Lord, and I'm thankful that He's broken me, that I can come to Him and say, I thought I had it all together. Thank you that your son Jesus, he's the only one that has it all together. So friends, 
Are you broken? Are you tired? Are you heavy burdened? You got the dinner ticket. What happens when you come? Or uh, in this verbiage, what is the reward of those who come? Point number two, the reward. And the reward is rest. Do you see it in that verse? And I will give you rest. All right, so let's talk about it. Does that mean, oh, cool, like that's just the ability to take a nice nap during the day, or uh, finally I'll be able to sleep? I, I think it goes like a little, a little bit deeper, right? Like rest. When you say rest, this is good news for the weary, for the tired soul. The souls that, that come by faith to Him for rest. It's kind of like, and I don't mean to be cheesy, but it, those who come to Jesus, it's kind of like when you come home from a long day of work, you put on your slippers, you put on your pajama pants, and you're like, ah, I'm home. That's the kind of stuff that happens when you come to Jesus. Uh, that's the feeling of it. Let's talk about it theologically, okay? So we can understand it in our minds and it can travel the 18 inches to our heart, okay? So when Jesus said, and I'll give you rest, it's a really, really great promise. The name, uh, actually, Noah signifies rest. So you could put in your notes, Noah, dash, rest. Okay, so like, go back to the Old Testament. Imagine Noah and his family after, what, like so many years of building that ark by faith. Then Jesus says, all right, bring in all the animals. And now, hey, it's time to rally up your family and head on in that ark. And then God himself closes the door and seals it, right? And then the rains come. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? I mean, it'd just be, it'd be so scary. But they experienced rest. They had a lot to do, right? I mean, some scholars say that if you just take the number of animals and divide it by the number of people, that each person would have 850 animals to manage every day. That's a lot of work. We have two dogs, right? <laughs> two dogs are a lot of work. Like in, out, in, out. Come on, you know, Right? That's a lot of work, 850. So were they just like lounging around and sleeping and like eating grapes all day? They were working. They experienced rest because they were protected from everything out there, from the danger. One commentator talks about the kind of rest that that Jesus is talking about here, and he, he talks about it threefold. He says, rest from the terror of sin, rest from the power of sin, and rest from God alone. Rest in God alone. And so when Noah and his family like, got into that ark, they experienced a rest from the terror that was going on out there. And God promised, I will protect you. And in the same way, Christ is the greater Noah. The church is the ark. And all who are in Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit and their promised protection until the end. Like 
They're promised protection from sin that kills and destroys, that terrorizes them. They're protected from it. And so, friends, if you come to Him, if you're weak, if you're weary, if you're heavy burdened, then you can have rest from the terror of sin. You no longer have to be afraid of the coming destruction and the eternal effects of sin and its consequences anymore. That's good news. What kind of rest? Rest from the terror of sin. Number two, rest from the power of sin. So if you come to Him, you'll experience rest. We're saying, and we're trying to define it. We're trying to be as specific as possible. Just so we don't leave here and go, oh, cool, rest. Like I'm going to take a Sunday afternoon nap. But this is rest from the power of sin. And this is specific to only the Christian. The Christian has rest in a certain hope from the power of sin in this world. Because the Christian has been promised sanctification. If a person has come to God through Jesus Christ, that God promises them the power of the Gospel. And this is what we are learning in Romans, right? If you believe, it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, right? That means that if you come to Christ, that He says, boom, you're saved. You're sealed. And I'm going to give you Jesus Himself. Like the Spirit of Christ is going to dwell in you. That's called grace. And grace is not just the power of God to save a man, it's the power of God to change a man. That means wives. You can trust God with your husbands. <laughs> You're like, is He ever going to change? If He's a Christian, He's going to grow in Christ. I'm not just picking on husbands, but wives. We think that, don't we? Right? I say that because I have a wife and I need to change, right? We can all trust in the power of God to change us. It's been promised to us. And that grants rest. Friends, I just, I'm repeating this from our Roman series. This means that if you are struggling with any sin, that you can trust God. You can, you can name that sin. And you can say, I'm sinning here. And in Romans 5, I can say, I'm going to trust that the grace of God in my life will abound more. I'm not just making that up. That's Paul's words. It will be stronger than my sin. Because where grace is present and sin is present, grace will be more. It will increase more than the sin. That's not just like nice things to say at church. You need to know that your pastor struggles with sin. A couple weeks ago, I was angry. And not just, oh, oh that was righteous anger. I was sinfully angry. Right? And I went to God with my anger. And I said, Lord, I'm angry. And I'm going to trust that you're not just going to like, make things nice and neutral. You're not just going to take away my anger so I don't screw things up and be a nice person. You're better than that. You're more powerful than that. You're going to forgive my sin of anger if I repent from it. And you're going to give me the grace 
to run in the opposite direction of my anger, you're going to give me the grace to pursue fruits of the Spirit that are opposite of anger. Namely, self-control, kindness, and patience. And guess what? God met me that week when we were in Romans 5. How? Is that some mystical thing, Newman? No! The Bible is living and active. And it worked in my life too. It wasn't just for you. It was for me. And He didn't just keep me from sinning. He granted me the ability to be self-controlled and patient and kind to others. When in my natural man, in my carnal desires, I wanted to get angry. Friends, this kind of rest when you come to God, if you're weak, if you're heavy burdened, if you're carrying something, it grants you the power that will be greater than your sin. It's rest from the power of sin. Lastly, it grants you rest in God alone. And this is where we'll end our time, okay? So friend, you, if you don't know the Lord, you can know the Lord through Jesus Christ. This is, this is a message of the good news for the non-believer so that he may transfer from death to life. But also the good news is for the Christian who has already been brought out of the darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What Peter just read from Colossians, right? But it's not just a functional thing. It's not just like when you come home and put on your slippers just so that your feet stay warm and just so that uh, you don't get holes in your socks, right? It's, ah, I'm home. I'm, I'm, I'm restful now, right? It's not just a, uh, when you come to Jesus, ah, sign your name here, you'll be in the book of life and we'll see you in eternity. But Jesus wants you to come, find rest, and enjoy Him now. Like He wants you to commune with Him. He's listening. He wants you to listen. We say it's a relationship. Uh, Psalm 73, uh, 25 and 26 says, Though my flesh and my heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 16 says, You are my chosen portion and my cup to hold my lot. Right? This is, this is this overwhelming desire at the core saying, God, You're my all in all. Like, you're not just a piece of the pie. You're not just like a portion of my week. But like, you're not, you're not just like a, 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 the mashed potatoes on my meal, but like, you're the steak. You're the mashed potatoes. You're the green beans. You're the, you're the plate. You're the silverware. And you're my cup. You're actually this whole table. The floor that's supporting me. My chair. This whole house. The foundation. The whole property. You are everything to me. And I need you. That's what the psalmist is saying. I'm weak. My heart fails. You are my satisfaction. I want you. This is the Christian life. Are you with me? Listen how, uh, listen how this song, singer-songwriter penned this. Ready? 
He says, my worth is not in what I own. Meaning like boats or cars or nice clothes or whatever. Not in the strength of flesh and bones. Not like how much I can bench or squat or how much I can like, you know, can I do a marathon? But in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but it's in the blood, the Christ that flows at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, my greatest treasure, the wellspring of my soul, and I will trust in Him, no other. And watch this. This is reflecting of the psalm. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. That's Jesus. That's what He does. That's Christmas. When you come to Him this Christmas, broken, busy, weary, whatever, God will grant you rest. That is the reward. So that He will be your highest treasure. So that you'll be content in Him. So that He'll hold the chief seat in your heart. So that he'll be your highest affections. So brothers and sisters in Christ, is God enough for you? Like, Do you want his rest? Like, are those, are those three reasons or explanations of rest, are they appealing to you? Do they, do they cause you to be drawn near to Jesus more, to adore him? If so, tell him. Tell him that you're done. Like you're done depending on, you, on your own strength. You're done carrying your own burdens. Like you're weary. You, you're done like trying to, to fight your particular sin on your own. Jesus is saying, just, just come. Like stop trying to wash off before you get in the bathtub. Come and I will carry that sin for you. I'll carry that burden. That's what I do. That's my very heart. That's who I am. 